Hello there. This is Henry Harris. Welcome to another edition of the Spiritual Foundations of Mental Health. Today, in honor of Hanukkah, we'll be looking at Don't Let Personal Thought Darken Your Relationships. Okay, so let's begin with our customary review. We speak of the spiritual foundations of mental health because we acknowledge that a person in his present moment, no matter what his state of mind is, no matter what his feelings or his mood is, his found, the foundations of his mental health are not dependent on anything of this world. There are, is a spiritual foundation to his mental well-being, to his or her well-being and health. That is to say we are healthy right now. We are not missing anything. We are not uh, broken or defective or lacking or, um, or, or sick in any way, even though we might experience distress or anxious thoughts or very, very difficult feelings. The foundation of our mental health is not dependent on anything of this world, including the aggregate of our feelings at a given moment. Our mental health, our well-being is present right now. What can happen is that a person can misunderstand how his psychological experience works and come to the conclusion that he is lacking well-being, he's lacking health, that he has to fix something. Now, let's just also be clear that I'm not suggesting that there's nothing to do in life, that you're already healthy and you're already perfect and just sit on the couch and enjoy life. And what's wrong with you if you're not, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. There's, there's certainly work to do in this world. There's certainly choices and interventions to make, but we want to make those choices and interventions based on an, a, a, based on a platform of truth, based on, based on a platform of correct understanding. We don't want to fix, to seek, to set out to fix what is not broken because we will exhaust ourselves. We will apply ourselves where we are uh, where we have no reason to apply ourselves and, and it doesn't go well. So let's back up a moment and see if we can unpack some of these ideas. When we speak of the idea that there is this uh, spiritual foundation, that a person's healthy right now, we've often referred to the idea that um, in the same way that a human being is physically healthy, even as there is a presence in this moment of a whole flow of toxins going through his body right now, every single person in the world who is alive is flowing with toxins in his bloodstream and in other parts of his body. There is poison literally present in a person, in a healthy person's functioning system. And that's not a problem. It would be, it would be somewhat silly to come to a medical professional and request help to remove every single trace of CO2, every single trace of some kind of other toxin in the body, because the, the medical professional, to the extent that he knows how the body works, would say, well, you don't want to do that because that's not the way a human being is designed. Like it would, you're, you would be working against your own healthy nature. So the presence of distressing thoughts, if we view distressing thoughts, anxious thoughts, negative thoughts, if we view those, let's say, as the undesirable kind of toxins, we can suggest that you're healthy right now. I'm healthy right now. Everybody is healthy right now, even with the presence of that flow of distressing thoughts, anxious thoughts. There is nothing lacking in a person's health right now, even with the presence of those thoughts. So then what accounts for great 
distress, depression, anxiety, um, the mental quote unquote illnesses that we speak of and that we certainly uh, can ac acknowledge a great level of compassion for people who suffer from those things. I think everybody does at some point. Um, what, how do we, so how do we account for that phenomenon for the experience of like, no, I am not well, I am deeply, I, I am, I, there's something broken about my life. So that arises from the misunderstanding about how our experience works. That's where that's coming from, meaning to the degree that a person doesn't understand that the presence of his, his distressing thinking is, uh, is actually part of a healthy system. Then it, it looks to him that there really is something wrong. And that is certainly the case that we can misunderstand that. We can arrive at a misunderstanding, a, mis a mistaken conclusion about our psychological experience. We can look at an we can look at our distressing feelings and say, oh, this is evidence of there being something truly wrong. Why do I feel the way I do? It's because there truly is something wrong in my life. There might it could be that I would say there's truly something broken about my past or about my own internal capacity to do to have self-discipline or to make good judgments or to uh, let go of a certain habit. Whatever the person might conclude, he his distressing feelings can become evidence that there really is something truly wrong. And as he attempts to change those feelings, as he attempts to rid himself of those feelings, he fails because we don't actually have authorship. We didn't make those feelings. We're not in control over those feelings. So the effort to try and manage or change them doesn't go very far. And the experience of failure and the effort to manage or change the feelings just produces a deeper feeling of like, whoa, I really, really am stuck. Like I am truly, truly broken. And, you know, it's akin to, to, to someone setting out to change the weather. On occasion, as he stands at his window and tries to remove the rain from the, from the sky, because of the nature of rain and how rain comes and goes, it actually might happen that there are times where standing at his window thinking, uh, and the rain thoughts, the rain might stop. But for the most part, it doesn't. And either way, it's not him that makes the rain come or go. Simultaneously or similarly, it's not you or I that makes our, our, distressing feelings come and go. We're not the author of those thoughts. Now, the good news is, is that as we, as we understand this, as we gain understanding of how this psychological truth is, is showing up in our lives, how it's, how it's kind of moment to moment being created, our experience is being created in the same way that everything is being created from a single simple source that is beyond time and space. That's nothing, it's not of this world. As we begin, as we begin to kind of encounter that that the truth about that power and the falsehood of, of of the alternative of anything any other power, as we encounter that, it starts to it we will awaken, we will awaken to this truth from a more kind of, I guess you could say an internal knowing. We will glimpse it as we're capable of. We are capable of glimpsing a, a, an internal knowing. And then it'll look to us like, oh, that doesn't make sense to try and manage that feeling. I know where that feeling's coming from. It's coming not from the, my child's behavior or 
or my own recent um, reactivity or the traffic or for whatever it might be. It's not coming from there. It's coming from the phenomenon of thought as a gift in this moment. And and as we see that, it just doesn't look like as much a, a compelling idea to try and change it or manage it. And as we came to glimpse the the reality of, oh, it's not something that I really should bother trying to change the same way I don't bother trying to change the rain, we begin to have a new relationship with the with the flow of feelings and the experience, our psychological experience. We begin to have a new and very different relationship with our own internal world. And then we navigate it. And this doesn't mean that we won't continue to have distressing feelings. Uh, we will not be, to the degree that someone understands this, this doesn't mean that he will be free from uh, moods and ups and downs. And even not, not only that, he, it, won't, it, will, it, it will not mean that he'll be free from getting confused and fooled about, the how, about how life works and how our experience, our psychological experience works. Even when we awaken to this and see something beautiful and simple and deep, um, the nature of the human design is that we don't own it. We don't retain it as kind of a permanence that we never lose sight of it again. And yet the good news is, is that we do grow. We do grow. We do progress. We do evolve and see how in the present moment, in, in today, in, in, in my life today, there are things that just no longer look to be as compellingly problematic as they did uh, a year ago, a month ago, even a week ago. We do evolve. So this whole conversation is a conversation about the truth about how our psychological experience works. I like to call it the psychological implications of emuna. Emuna being the the Jewish commandment to to affirm uh, the 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 truth of the of a creator. The truth of the the truth of the the there there being a single simple source behind all life, behind everything. The implications of that for our psychological experience is that not only is is the weather out there being created by a power that's not me and it's not you, it's also the case that the in, the weather inside of us is being created by a source and a force that's not me and that's not you. We don't author those feelings and moods, and yet, in no way does that suggest that we don't that we lack free will. We do. We have free will. It's just that our free will is not to create or to banish uh, certain feelings, or to change the channel of our internal compass. That's not our free will. Our free will is to acknowledge what's true about our experience. Our free will is to acknowledge what cannot be true about our experience. Both of those, as as I mentioned, this is a, this is a mitzvah conversation we're having. We're exploring Amuna and the flip side, that which cannot be true, that there are no other powers. That's the mitzvah of not to of not to believe in idols, not to ascribe power to something other than the single simple source. If we accustom ourselves to looking for those truths, to affirming those truths, it will not in the moment provide provide us a solution for an unpleasant feeling. It won't banish those unpleasant feelings, but it will. It's inherently a worthwhile activity. It is a mitzvah activity to to look for that, to explore that, to think about that. And it's impossible that we will not be affected by it. We will align with that with that understanding. We will be more prone and susceptible to awakening to the simplicity of that truth, and it will affect us. 
Okay, so I mentioned that today's topic in honor of Hanukkah is don't let personal thought darken the warmth, the light of your relationships. What do I mean by that? So I want to acknowledge and exp- and, and dedicate my uh, sharing of this understanding today, this talk today, in honor of my wonderful wife, who helps me to understand more about um, wisdom and the limits of personal thought. Um, and what I mean by that is that we we have a natural, here's how it looks to me, okay? This is still percolating. This is still kind of taking shape, but it's been very meaningful to me. And I very much would like to share it um, as well as understand it more deeply myself. So here's how it looks. It, it seems to me that we have as, as, as it is natural that as human beings, the world, we have our perceptions, our ways of thinking, our kind of rationale about life. You know, we have our feelings and we have our sense as to what brings about those feelings. And we have our worldview, our outlook on life. This is good. This is not good. And, um, and that kind of analysis is, is certainly something that is helpful it's certainly a reason it's certainly a resource that we use to navigate our lives that kind of personal analysis on the other hand there is a limit to the value of that kind of personal analysis in the realm of relationships okay um in the realm of relationships the whole phenomenon of a relationship is the possibility of of a connection a connection of uh, to something or to someone that's not you and there's a beautiful and magical uh, feeling and experience in, in, in reaching that connection. I think there's no person in the world that does not possess a deep-seated desire to experience connection, authentic and meaningful connection uh, to people, to other people, and certainly to the source behind all life. We possess within us a deep desire to experience that connection, which is which is in fact a spiritual experience, the ability to to sense and 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 find a sense of closeness to someone that is not you, is by definition an experience of going beyond you, right? I would suggest that that's in, that is another way of describing a spiritual experience. Now, the essence of personal analysis is kind of a uh, that is the the personal analysis is the affirmation of the me and the reality of me and my worldview in a way that by definition is not, um, it's not, it's not shareable. I can't literally share my personal analysis with someone else and the degree to which I emphasize my personal analysis, it, it, it just kind of, um, it runs static. It runs traffic. It runs a kind of obstacle to the whole phenomenon of my desire to connect. So I have, it it seems as how it looks to me. On the one hand, I possess a very compelling and not always visible. It's not always visible to me that I possess this very strong personal analysis. It doesn't look to me like personal analysis. It looks to me like reality, right? Like, hello, duh. You don't throw the garbage out when the bag is half full. You wait till it's full. I mean, like, come on already. That's ridiculous, right? Now, that simple assertion um, that is, to me, it just looks like reality with a capital R. uh, By definition, 
someone other than me, let's say my wife, for example, does not perceive the bag to be half full. On the contrary, she perceives it to be mostly full. And aside from that, there's other issues that she's aware of that would make it reasonable to get rid of the garbage right now. And so I look at it, I'm just like, my goodness, what is wrong with your perception? And suffice it to say, in that moment, I'm prioritizing. Now, so, so I have my personal kind of perception analysis that shows up in my heart mind as kind of very real. It doesn't show up again as this is your personal take on things. It shows up as like, no, no, this is reality you're seeing here. Um, now, alongside that personal analysis perception, I also have a very real desire a desire to connect, a desire to connect and to feel connected to my wife, a desire to feel connected to my child, my children, a desire to feel connected to my creator. Um, All of those are very strong. And those are not things that I author. I don't author the personal perception and the way it shows up to me as kind of reality. It's just kind of how I operate. It's my operating platform. And I also don't author this profound desire I have to be connected to my wife, to my children, to my creator. I don't author either of those. Now, the thing is, is that if I'm not conscious of what, of how these, um, of how this is taking shape inside of me, of how this is flowing through me, these two kind of simultaneous phenomena the perception that is real, that my reality is just reality. And simultaneously, my absolute desire to connect to, to someone that's not me. If I'm not aware of the presence of those two things, it's just going to look like a real conflict. Like it's just going to look like an irreconcilable issue and problem. Because like I said, in regards to the garbage bag, like what is she thinking? You know, it's kind of silly to take the garbage out so soon. Um, And that message is going to come across as disregarding, invalidating, the opposite of connection. Um, And then I'm going to be annoyed potentially when I find that she's bothered or hurt and resentful uh, after I've made some kind of a comment about that. You know, like, I don't get it. What's the problem? Like, I just pointed out what's real. I just pointed out what's reality. Now, I'm not aware. No, no, I'm pointing out my personal analysis. Um, To me, it looks like I'm pointing out reality. And And I'm thinking to myself, why is she so bothered? that I just simply pointed out reality, I would think she'd feel grateful to me that I helped her to correct her misperceptions and her mistaken analysis. Now, in that moment, obviously, I'm prioritizing my personal analysis over my desire for connection. And then I'm resentful that I'm somehow missing out on my connection. So this is in, what, what does this have to do with Hanukkah? So Hanukkah is a confrontation that the Jewish people had with a, a civilization that prioritized and and really idolized the whole notion of human perception, right? They they the the Greeks uh, believed deeply in the value of human reason and logic. The idea of personal analysis, the pa- the possibility of human analysis to understand and and set reality on its proper foundation. They asked the question: What is good? according to human beings. What is beauty, according to human beings? What is uh, justice, according to human beings? That was their priority, to understand the world 
exclusively through, and, and not because they opted for it, it's because they didn't see the alternative. They didn't see, their, they didn't see beyond just simply the phenomenon of their own analysis. That was what was central to them. And in the process, they, they were simply blind to the phenomenon of connection, right? The, the whole dimension of reality that allows for, wait, I'm not just on my own sitting inside of a personal analysis. Um, it, it, it's actually the case that there are people with whom I can share, have a shared experience. I can touch something beyond me. There is a perception and an awareness that it transcends my personal analysis. I can have a connection to a source that is behind all life. But of course, it requires transcending my personal analysis. Now, if a person is not opened, if a person is not open and curious about a perception beyond his own personal analysis, then it will simply not be visible. The idea of connection will never occur to him as visible. I think we live in a, in a society today where we're encountering that quite a bit, you know, in the political polarization and all kinds of experiences where people just can't fathom how in the person, how in the world could someone be so dumb, so blockheaded, so dimwitted as to think with, I see that they think those things, but it just like strikes me as so dumb, right? So we all are, we all suffer from that challenge in the exiled state that we're in. So the Greeks really lived inside that world where the, where they were experts at exploring the human reason and the logic of human analysis. That was, they were experts at that. Uh, but they didn't see beyond, they didn't see that there is a concept called transcending that awareness, that there is a greater awareness that's even more precious and valuable, that the, the human logic and reason is a wonderful resource, but it's it it's limited. It it will it, it doesn't perceive the value of connection. And so when they encountered the Jews whose whole orientation was let's we we are our lives are or, organized around a relationship with an unseen force right that's the that was the essence of the jewish people that we we our whole existence or is organized around a relationship with an unseen force and the possibility of connecting to that unseen force through commandments so to the greeks this is just like you guys are crazy like and not only are you crazy like this is this is like totally destru destructive of the value of human reason. You are, you are destroying the flower of what a human being can be by subjecting your human reason to something irrational. And so they sought to destroy our pursuit of connection, our pursuit of connection to a, a source beyond ourselves. They sought to destroy it. And the truth is, is that, uh, there was nothing logical or personally reasonable about the Jews' efforts to go to war, to defend their way of life. They didn't have the physical might. They didn't have the military experience. They didn't have the, the wealth and the organization of an, of an army. There was nothing reasonable on the realm of like personal analysis and, and logic as to why and how they should undertake such a war. But what they saw was that, well, we know, we know that personal analysis and human logic are resources to use, but they, they're limited. They're not the primary reality. The primary reality is a transcendent reality, a reality that we feel our desire, the very desire that they felt to connect was evidence that there's something to connect to. We trust our desire 
to connect as, a, as evidence and pointing us to the truth of there being something to connect to and that we can rely on, that we can reach to. We can reach to that reality because there is some entity that's looking to reach us. So they did it. They undertook it. They undertook it despite there being very little in the realm of personal analysis and logic that would suggest they would win. They undertook it anyway, trusting that there really is something that they can connect to and that's looking to connect back to them. And they were victorious. And this is so powerful to me in the realm of both my experience of my relationship with my creator and also with people dear to me and my marriage, etc. that as much as I like my worldview and it feels to me so much my home, my personal analysis of things about when the garbage should be taken out and so many other judgments that I have, um, I, I've come to recognize that my desire to connect to my wife, to my children is so meaningful to me. It's so real to me. It's so precious to me that I, I've come to acknowledge, whoa, I don't want my personal analysis to potentially run static with that connection possibility. I, I want to kind of like the, the possibility of the space of that connection, the desire within me is so strong. It's so meaningful to me that I am interested in kind of letting that guide me and letting my personal analysis be, be, be set to the side and considered, does this compute with the desire or does this not compute with my desire for connection? Kanaka is the is celebrates the possibility of this connection. This is the desire for this connection, the wisdom that transcends the human logic, and the light, the light, the light of Hanukkah, the miraculous light of Hanukkah is the light that comes from seeing beyond uh, just my own human reason. That's light. That's wisdom. That's a, that's a divine wisdom, and that is what's available to us during these days to revisit and understand the how precious that light is, how much each of us is already endowed with, on the one hand, the inclination to personal analysis, but simultaneously a desire that comes from such a deep place in us that um, it, it's, it's, it's evidence of, of the presence of something to connect to and our very orientation to connect to that and to allow that desire to lead us, to guide us, and to, um, to, to, to kind of rule over our inclination to personal analysis, that personal analysis should not darken our relationships.